1: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... A new study reveals Fulton County incarcerates its residents nearly three times as much compared to other urban counties. We'll talk more about this study coming out of Georgetown. Plus, federal funding is coming to Georgia directly to support minority producers in the state's agriculture industry. And a mentoring program to introduce Atlanta elementary and high school students into various STEM careers. Those conversations coming up. But first this, in case you don't know, we're less than 24 hours away when polling locations across the nation and, of course, here in Georgia will open for the midterm elections. More than two and a half million Georgians have already voted as we hear from our WABE politics reporter, Sam Greenglass. Georgia voters broke records for early voting in a midterm. More than one in three active voters
1: have already cast their ballot, most by voting early in person. About 75% of requested absentee ballots have already been returned. Absentee ballots must arrive by the time polls close on Tuesday. So at this point, it's best to deliver them to the local election office. Voting has, for the most part, gone smoothly. Though mass voter challenges have burdened some election offices, law enforcement is also on guard for threats toward election workers and polling places. In Cobb County, some absentee ballots accidentally weren't sent out. Those voters should vote in person. Polls are open Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sam Greenglass, WABE
0: News. And of course, Georgia is among the battleground states, which means voters could decide which party controls the U.S. Senate. As we hear from our other WABE politics team member, Raul Bali has corralled the closing arguments from the candidates. One of the things that Senator
3: Raphael Warnock has talked about for most of the campaign are the things that happened after Georgia voters elected him and John Ossoff last year, giving Democrats control of the U.S. Senate. If you had not sent me to the Senate, we would not have passed on a bipartisan basis the first gun safety bill we've seen in 30 years. If you had not sent me to the Senate, we would not have confirmed Ketanji
4: Brown Jackson to the United States Supreme Court.
3: Warnock has recently increased his direct attacks on Republican challenger Herschel Walker. We've learned more about Herschel Walker over the time.
4: We've learned more about how he's treated women. We've learned more about how complicated his life has been.
3: Walker has denied all allegations that he paid for abortions, along with newer allegations of domestic violence.
4: Hey guys, I've been very transparent. I'm gonna tell you who's not honest. He went to Washington and said he was gonna represent Georgia. And what did he do? He raised your taxes and spent your money.
3: Walker has raised a list of issues he blames on the Biden administration, like energy prices, he then connects Senator Warnock to the president.
4: And that's who I'm running against. Is a past that should have stepped up, but he didn't step up. He stood back like he'd been standing back all the time to get with Joe Biden, voting with him 96% of the time.
3: Walker has also been running on a heavy dose of socially conservative issues like restricting abortion rights. Then there's libertarian challenger Chase Oliver, who appeared on CNN Sunday morning.
5: I think what we need in Georgia is an honest broker who's going to bring both sides of the aisle together around these major issues that really affect every voter.
3: If no candidate gets more than 50% of the vote, the top two candidates move to a four-week runoff. Raul Valley,
0: WABE News. And in related news, Fulton County's Board of Registration and Elections is leaving the door open tomorrow for voters having issues because of residency challenges. So pay attention to this. Election officials say they're holding the special called meeting to review the cases from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So officials are urging Fulton residents who have not been able to vote to attend this meeting. And that will take place at the Fulton County Elections Preparation Center. On English Street Northwest. And a programming note WABE will begin its special coverage of the midterm elections tomorrow night, beginning with a live 7 p.m. edition of Closer Look, followed by our special elections results coverage. So join me, Jim Burris, Dennis O'Hara, and our WABE reporters and special guests. Get your favorite bottle of Chardonnay or water, whatever you like, and stay with NPR throughout the night for national coverage. We're not going to be drinking Chardonnay because that would be wrong. Georgia Votes 2022, WABE special live coverage tomorrow evening. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. From WABE in Atlanta, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. A new study from Georgetown indicates Fulton County incarcerates people at a higher rate than other urban counties and could be dr- the reason why it's driving the county's only own overcrowding crisis. Now, the study titled Under Reducing Jail Overcrowding Without Increasing Crime, Lessons from Fulton County, Georgia, also concludes that Atlanta should drop the lease of that detention center. And we should note another study is expected to be released next week from the Justice Policy Board regarding Atlanta's detention center. Now, this was a mandate approved by city council, which was to be an in-depth analysis of those incarcerated at the county jail before the lease agreement with Fulton County can take effect. But let's talk about this other study. Joining me now with more on the Georgetown study is Tahir Duckett, Executive Director of the Center for Innovations in Community Safety at Georgetown Law. Welcome to the program. I appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thanks, Rose. Really appreciate being here.
0: Before we dig into the findings, I want our listeners to become a little bit more familiar with what you all do at the center
2: Yeah, so the Center for Innovations in Community Safety uh, is an academic center at Georgetown Law. And we are focused on um, researching, building, delivering, and evaluating evidence-informed interventions that can meet the needs Mm -hmm. of our communities uh, to create safer neighborhoods.
0: Now let's back up a minute. Uh, Someone said, well, why were you all interested? Were you asked to review this information? How did you all come to even want to begin to look at Fulton County and this issue?
2: Well, you know, the Atlanta city detention center has has been a remarkable story of decarceration, right? So uh, that's a 1300 bed facility that, um, you know, is, is now only, home to around is, is now only housing around fewer than 50 people uh, per night. Mm-hmm. and so um, you know it's it's been held up as this um, you know really great success story mm-hmm. um, especially given that the, the the city's proposal to replace uh, the jail with a community center that mm-hmm. can do the kind of work, uh, that uh, a lot of folks in Atlanta have been asking for for, for quite some time uh, the, the sort of long-term work uh, to bring down uh, rates of violence. And so when we saw that um, that that Fulton County was uh, asking the city of of Atlanta to actually pull back from that commitment, pull back from that decarceration, it it, it really caught our eye.
0: Yeah. Let's back up because you know listeners are saying okay, What kind of information were you all able to discover and what were you looking for in order to come up with your findings? Because did you have access to all of the the, in terms of the situations why folks might be detained there? Where did you begin and where did you get your information from?
2: Certainly. Well, the the, the place that we 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 begun was by talking to um, experts around the country on jails, prisons, and prison overcrowding, Mm -hmm. right, and jail overcrowding. Um, And so we wanted to understand, okay, what are the best ways that municipalities that have faced this problem before, which is not an uncommon problem, Mm -hmm. what are the best ways and the least harmful ways of resolving these problems? And so we reached out. Out to uh, Michelle Deitch at the um, uh, at the University of Texas. We reached out to Vincent Chiraldi um, at, at Columbia University, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to make sure that we understood, um, you know, what are the actual best practices in this world? And then we took a look, uh, a, a close look at the the sort of facts on the ground um, in Atlanta as well, right? We wanted to know, okay, what, how, why are people in, at Fulton County Jail being held? How long are they being held? Uh, what, are, what are the makeup of the charges? And that's where we really started to uh, get a fuller picture of, of what was happening there and could understand, OK, well, here's here's what actually makes sense as a way to solve those problems.
0: So how far did you go back? Did you look at folks who had previously been incarcerated or did you look at folks who were currently detained?
2: Well, people in jail come in and out really quickly, right? It's one of these things that Mm -hmm. folks don't always kind of understand about jails. It's not a static population. And so the, the population that was in jail six months ago or a year ago or two years ago, uh, very few of those people are still in mm-hmm. uh, the jail today, and so we took a look at uh, some of the preliminary findings from um, uh, from the um, from the review board, um, the population review board, to to see mm-hmm. uh, what it, what the, the the most recent numbers look like, um, and and that's what we've been relying. On.
0: And this finding. And I'm taking it right from your report here, which I have in my hand. Fulton County jails overcrowding crisis is being driven by its overuse of incarceration. It jails its residents at a rate nearly three times that of other urban counties.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, and it's this important thing to know about jails is that we can't it's not just that we can't jail ourselves out of the problems that we're facing. Mm-hmm. It's that jail actually can make these problems worse. Mm-hmm. And so researchers have found this really consistently. Every time you put somebody in jail, you increase rather than decrease the chance that that person is going to later on engage in criminal activity. Uh, one one recent study that we quote in our, our paper found that pretrial detention is associated with a 30% increase in new felony charges mm-hmm. and a 20% increase in new misdemeanors demeanor charges. Uh, Another study said that jail is likely the most harmful option during the pretrial stage if we're thinking about community safety. And, you know, so, so, to to find out that Fulton County is jailing people at this high of a rate, it, it made it clear to us that um you know that that they're not dealing with the correct problem when they think about expanding capacity as opposed to reducing the jail population.
0: And Director Duckett, were you all able to were you all able to maybe pinpoint that some some of these folks probably could have benefited better from not being detained to maybe some type of wraparound service or some other community resource service?
2: Yeah, yeah, without question, right? One of the things that uh, we, we saw when we were looking at the numbers is that um, a quarter of the people in uh, in the Fulton County jail were there on uh, commonly divertible offenses, meaning that we've got options today mm-hmm. to plug people into social services that can actually help them get back on track. Um, a third of the people uh, in the jail were there on misdemeanors so you know think drug possession, shoplifting, mm-hmm. disorderly conduct. Um, and again, it's not just, that, um, you know, that that jail isn't the best way of dealing with these problems. Mm -hmm. It's that when you put people in jail and hold them there in jail, and the longer that you hold them, the worse that it gets, the more likely it is that that person is gonna engage in more criminal activity later on. And this makes sense if you think about it. If Mm -hmm. you had a job before a three week stint in jail, you probably don't have that job when you got out, Mm -hmm. when you get out. Um, that time in jail strains social relations and community connectedness that that researchers have found keep people from engaging in harmful activity. And it it replaces those connections with new networks and new connections that are made in jail that aren't always good influences.
0: yeah, and I'm I'm curious, Director Duckett. Were you all able? Because you say we say urban counties, and I not, did not specify those other urban counties. Can you tell listeners what counties that you all might have looked at or compared Fulton County to?
2: Yeah, so we were looking at an average of uh, urban counties across the United States. So you can uh, uh, the, the Vera Institute of Justice uh, did um, is uh, you know put, puts together this data set. Uh, that divides up counties and so they're either urban or they're rural or they're suburban. And uh, so when we're thinking about Atlanta and and Fulton County, we're comparing them to DeKalb County, by the way, which is right, uh, uh, you know, obviously right across the street mm-hmm. uh, and Fulton County jails people at twice the rate that DeKalb County does um but uh we're also looking uh you know at other urban counties Mecklenburg County in Charlotte um Cook County in Illinois uh Bronx County Now you Queens mentioned County Cook County that's
0: that's that also Chicago right now that that Yes
2: that's right.
0: Okay. Wow.
2: <laughs> yes 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 they no, got they
0: true. got a lot going on up in Chicago too I mean it, it yeah. <laughs> There, some, there's a lot going yeah. on
2: in these in these places, and you know whether you're looking at 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 counties with higher crime rates or counties with lower crime rates, um, you know you're still oftentimes seeing uh, uh, counties that are that are are jailing their residents at a lower rate than Fulton County is.
0: And Director Duckett, you know this, because often I ask folks when it comes to solutions, and I always want to start with, okay, is this a, are we talking about something that it's policy driven, it's a legislation issue, this is something that we, when I say we, Fulton County, the community, should legislate itself out of. When you start start to talk about solutions, what are you offering then? What would you want Fulton County folks to know?
2: Yeah, so there there are several policy levers that they can pull to fix this problem. Uh, The first is uh, by slowing down the spigot of people that are coming into jail in the first place, right? So right off of the bat, we talked about how a quarter of these uh, offenses are commonly divertible, right? So that is focusing on expanding pre-arrest and pre-booking diversion. Uh, You've got options to, uh, which we've seen across the country, ask law enforcement officers to issue citations in lieu of arrest Mm -hmm. whenever there's not an an imminent danger to the public, Uh, right? So instead of having a law enforcement officer pulling them off of the street, going through the long process of, of booking and processing uh, somebody for, you know, disorderly conduct, um, you can write them a ticket, right? In the mm-hmm. same way that, you know, we all get travel traffic tickets for, for going down the street. And so that reduces the pressures that are on the jail. And then in the medium and the long term, we can talk about investing in more cognitive behavioral therapy, substance abuse treatment centers, uh, community violence intervention efforts like cure violence or advance peace uh, that can keep people from engaging in harmful conduct in the first
0: place. And for those who don't fall in that category, you all talk about there needs to be an improvement in perhaps expediting the processes for those who it might have some some more, you know, intense charges or that you saying, look, we're not saying that for folks who probably need to be detained because you don't know, but let's have a process that can be fair, first of all, and expedited to probably move folks for if they need to be moved to another phase of whatever this, this issue is.
2: Right, right. Some of this is really just about making sure that the bureaucracy is more efficient and effective, mm-hmm. right? Processing people more quickly. Fulton County is leaving people in jail for far too long, oftentimes longer than ninety days without indictment, which is actually a violation of state law, and and that's a bu- nothing is por- forcing them to do that um, other than poor systems that don't turn people over quickly enough and too much intake, right? Mm-hmm. The more people that you bring in uh to, to and, and have to process through the jail, the less uh h- human power that you can focus on uh getting people out of the door or, right. or, or getting them to the next phase um of of uh their cases.
0: All right, executive director, I think you're ready for this one because it is a political button here. You all say, look, reevaluate the money bail system in Fulton County. Yeah. What are you Look, smiling at me for? Are you smiling at <laughs> The email is going to come to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, here's the thing. We, we leave people in jail solely because they don't have the money to buy their freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. People who haven't been convicted, convicted of a crime, who a judge has already ruled poses no danger to the community. And so in, in Fulton County, if you've got money, you get out. And if you don't have money, you're stuck in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that just from a uh, just just from an ethical, from an I find that system un-American. If you ask me, right? But 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 also remember, even if you don't agree with me there, um, remember that every person that we're leaving in jail because they don't make enough money that comes back to bite us mm-hmm. later on when they're more likely to engage in criminal activity because we decided to hold them there because they couldn't spend a thousand dollars on their mm-hmm. bond.
0: And ultimately, you all say, look. Leasing beds at the Atlanta Center detention center in Fulton County likely would result in higher incarceration rates, ultimately resulting in diminished public safety.
2: That's exactly right, right? Like at the end of the day, you have policy makers talking constantly about what are we gonna do to reduce the crime rate? What are we gonna do to reduce the crime rate? We're so worried about the crime rate. And then at the same time, they're talking about something that is actually contributing to that crime rate. And that's just that's a major problem. And it's and it's because I think that most people don't kind of get this intuitively. They think, oh, we I lock up somebody, I I prevent them from, from committing crimes. But almost all of these people are gonna be back on the street. Uh they're they're coming back, they're gonna re-enter our communities in a few months, in a year, whatever that number looks like. And the question is, how do we reduce the likelihood that they're going to be engaged in criminal activity later on?
0: And we should note your study and then also the study from the America, from the ACLU of Georgia here pretty much mirror each other in terms of not only solutions, but some of the findings that you all have. I always love asking people this. Who should read this study? Tahir Ducker? <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I obviously I want policymakers to read the study, but I also want just people who are, you know, uh, who are voters, people who care about what's going on in the community, people who are worried about the crime rate. I want them to be able to read the study as well, because, again, I think it's it can be really seductive to feel like, okay, well, we can jail ourselves out of Mm -hmm. the Um, out of, uh, you know, the the, the crime problem, that we can jail ourselves uh, in a way or or use jail as as a tool to be able to fix this problem. And I, I want folks to understand just how complicated that is, And that not only does jail, you know, not necessarily fix the problem, but it comes with its own set of problems, not just for the people who are in jail. That's true. I mean, mm-hmm. that is we could have a whole different conversation about all of the and it's a useful conversation to have about all of the individual impacts on mm-hmm. people uh, who, who go through that uh, experience. But even if the only thing that you're worried about is, am I going to be safer when I'm walking down the street at night? Um, then you should be running, not walking, but running away from any proposal to expand the capacity to jail in Fulton County.
0: Tahir Duckett, Executive Director of the Center for Innovations and Community Safety at Georgetown Law, and they have just released their study titled Reducing Jail Overcrowding Without Increasing Crime, Lessons from Fulton County. We'll have a link to the study on our website. Director, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's estimated in this state, good old Georgia, there's more than a $74 billion annual economic impact generated by the state's agribusiness. Now, that means, for those that say, what am I saying? It's agriculture. Now, Georgia's leading industry, as it is, is touted by the Georgia Farm Bureau. Check out this promotional video clip.
1: It might be hard to believe, but we have almost 10 million acres of land in Georgia devoted to agriculture. An acre is about the size of a football field, so there are nearly 10 million football fields of farmland across the state. To put it another way, 25 percent of all the land in Georgia is dedicated to some type of agriculture. Just how important is the agriculture industry to our state? It provides more than 73 billion dollars to the state's economy, and one out of seven Georgians work in an agriculture-related job.
0: Now, all of that being true, here's a question. What about equity and diversity within Georgia's agriculture business? Now, the USDA recently accepted applications to fund projects, quote, benefiting underserved producers and minority serving institutions. Joining me now to talk more about this initiative is Arthur L. Tripp, Georgia State Executive Director of the Farm Service Agency. Welcome, Director Tripp. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Rose. It's so great to be with you. I want to begin with some clarification for our listeners because we're going to use this term producers a lot. And for the sake of this conversation, define that for our listeners when we talk about producers in in this context here.
1: Yeah. So when we talk about producer, when we talk about production, uh, basically what we're talking about is what is a farmer? Look, in order to get uh, some type of support or in order to be considered a farmer when it comes to the USDA, Uh, We consider that you need to have what is called a farm and track number. Look, since being appointed to this role by the president of the United States, I have been able to to traverse the state and all I keep hearing is, hey, I wanna get involved in farming. Mm -hmm. I wanna get involved in production. And one of the things that we are working incredibly hard about is to provide the pathway uh, so that we can have more folks getting involved in agriculture uh, and getting involved in land ownership and production.
0: Ooh, we got a lot to get to so I'm gonna try to get to it in the time we have because when we talk about this agricultural, you know this is a pioneer industry, let's be really clear, but it's transformed into this modern sector right? but there are still some systemic challenges and when you talk about farming and, and I can hear now and I'm even getting emails and here we go the first thing that comes to people's mind is equity and race. How did the United States now if you want to answer this, but I hope you do, how did the United States get to this point where you are now where there is this the last few years and go further than that? We're trying to, to carve out equity and make sure that folks of color had access to, to to whether it's loans or just the industry. We still have a challenge with that. It's been systemic, and you know that.
1: Well, one thing I'd, I'd say, Rose, is, is one thing we know for sure. In fact, two things that we know for sure is that farming is, in fact, inherently risky. Uh, and the second thing we know for sure is that everybody's got to eat. Uh, And so that we want to play our uh, part and do what we can at the United States Department of Agriculture to ensure that everyone is aware of the pathways of how to access capital, how to access capital for land, for operating costs, for ownership. And that's what we do uh, at the Farm Service Agency. In fact, you may be pleased to know uh, that section 1006 of the American Rescue Plan Act, which was signed and championed by the president of the United States, provided over $1 billion in funding for the the United States Department of Agriculture to take action mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that historically underserved communities uh, have the tools, programs and technical
0: support that is needed uh, to succeed. Now, that's great. Uh, what you said is great. And people listening saying, OK, one billion dollars. Now, here we go. You all and you all can't do this from Washington to see to help Georgia or any other, you know, Alabama or other states. So now you're you're calling on Other entities who are working in this space, is that what y'all going to do? And then you distribute funding to these entities. Is that how that's going to work? Yeah. So let's talk
1: about it. Uh, One one program in particular, uh, the Increasing Land, Capital and Market Access Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, What that does is provides $300 million dollars. Uh, all aimed at helping our underserved producers. And when I say underserved, I'm talking about veterans. I'm talking about limited resource producers. I'm talking about beginning farmers and ranchers and those who live in uh, high poverty areas. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is to provide pathways and awareness. So folks know how to access the capital, how to stay on their land. And this is another important piece, pros. Mm-hmm. after you have production, how to get your production to market. Uh, that's also a very, very, very important piece.
0: Let me ask you this. When we talk about the face of America's farmer today in 2022, that doesn't look like obviously back in 1922. Correct. So when you talk about getting folks access and the pathways, are you primarily focusing on just the rural populations or have we, we begin to shift away from that? That it doesn't necessarily have to be those that live in rural communities, because I don't Absolutely. want folks to be confused that you have to live in a rural part of Georgia in order to access or f- apply for some of this, this, this re- these resources.
1: That, that's exactly right. You don't only have to live in a rural part uh, of Georgia or a rural part of the country. In fact, uh, Georgia is one of 17 cities that has greenlit our urban ag program. In fact, just two weeks ago, my team and I launched our urban agriculture initiatives to raise awareness once again of how to gain and access uh, capital and what to do if you want to get involved uh, in production. In fact. Uh, that event that I'm mentioning, we were able to reach over 1700 kids Hmm. Uh, The one thing that I've learned, look, my background, I used to work on Capitol Hill for a number of years, and I used to help write ag policy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to do a better job of is explaining what is possible uh, in the field of agriculture. Mm -hmm. It's agribusiness, it's technology, it's markets. And so one of the things I think we will continue to do is engage our current producers. we work incredibly hard uh, to engage and cultivate the next generation of producers.
0: So folks listening, and I'm proud to say that you know a lot of folks listen to this program, not just in the Atlanta area, but, you know, way down in South Georgia, too. They're listening. Yeah. They're saying, OK, I'm in exec- executive director. What do I do now? How do I find out what's available for me as a producer already or someone who wants to get into it?
1: Yeah. One thing I want to know, it doesn't matter you're from North Georgia, Central Georgia or from South Georgia. Uh, the agency that I lead, we have over 60 offices in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. We serve every nook and cranny of this state. And so this is what I would encourage. Google Georgia FSA, which is the Georgia Farm Service Agency, or go to Mm -hmm. farmers.gov. It's so important that we go there and realize, where's my closest office? Mm -hmm. Where's my local office? And pick up the phone and call us. Look, we are here to help. We are here to provide pathways so folks uh, know what it takes and what they have to do to get a loan. Uh, you know what? What happens after I get production? What What support is there, uh, and our team is there and really helping, uh, ready to assist.
0: Often, and you and I know it's not lost on you. People say the the process, maneuvering through the process, can be so difficult. And I know every situation is different. Whether you're going to be a, a, you're a new producer or someone that's already been in existence. Uh, What do you want folks to know in terms of what they need to be prepared to to bring to the table in terms of paperwork or what should they already have? So it makes the process maybe a little bit easier to navigate.
1: Well, I think the first thing is to know what you want to do. Know what your goals are, you know, sometimes when I travel a state to meet with current and future producers. There's a general idea I may want to do this, or I may want to do that when you come in let's let's talk about we can help you explore but already knows in, in more of a general sense of what exactly you want to do. What do you want to accomplish do you want 30 acres do you want 60 acres do you want two acres. You know, we really need to know exactly uh, what the goals are of, of our producers.
0: Like a farm business plan or pro- pro- production business plan? Absolutely. Yeah, really?
1: absolutely. And and for folks who aren't aware of how to, uh, you know, get that information, reach out to your local extension office. You no, know, reach out to our offices and let us help you. Because the one thing we always want to do is how can we help? Uh, but the only way we can do that is if we have a clear guide, a clear mission of what your goals are.
0: The app, the the deadline application, I believe, has passed, but that was just for those other entities that, are, or has it? Are you all, ex- let me know.
1: Well, I've, I've got late breaking news for you, Rose. let it. hit Actually, it. been extended to November 18th, uh, and so there's good news out there. And and I think it's very important to know uh, that the dollars that will pass for the uh, increasing land, capital, and market access program, uh, those are grant dollars that'll uh, go out to nonprofits and go mm-hmm. out to universities. Uh, but the minimum amount would be 250,000 and the maximum amount can be 40 million. And so, look, we, we've got some time here. And I really encourage folks who are interested uh, to really look at this and and figure out how we can be helpful. I
0: have a listener once that is asking about Rose when you mentioned minority serving institutions. What do you mean, like colleges and universities?
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Look, we've got a whole host of universities across this country in fact when i work on capitol hill uh, we work to bring all of our 1890 college uh, presidents to testify for the first time uh, and and before congress Uh, and so we work diligently not only with our 1890s but with other land-grant institutions Mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to take all of us uh, to ensure that we have great production in this country
0: when you look at the big business that georgia does in its agribusiness which i mentioned is nearly if not now over 74 million Uh, 74 billion, excuse me, Yeah, 74 74 billion. What does it say to you about a state like Georgia? And then when we talk about that, we can even expand it. We should expand it more with access for for black and brown people in terms of equity and, and things like that. What does it say how much more business Georgia could be doing in this sector if you open up those avenues?
1: Well, the number one thing that comes to my mind, Rose, is opportunity opportunity the more that we can provide pathways and information for our veterans for our young people for our new and beginning farmers for everyone who is interested think about where we could go look we've got the savannah port here Uh, Mm -hmm. we utilize that a lot to get goods in and out we're one of the few states that are our land uh, we produce so many different things folks don't know that we in georgia produce over 50 percent of the nation's peanuts Mm -hmm. people say well i don't like peanuts but do you like uh you know m ms Do you like Reese's? And so a lot of what we produce here are inputs uh, to the products that we utilize every day. And so we've got to ensure that our young people that our current and our future producers understand what we have to help uh, to ensure that we can take agriculture in the state of Georgia to the next level.
0: Is there another state out there that do you think that may, perhaps Georgia could uh, maybe they maybe they've already have some of these other initiatives that Georgia could look at? Or I know you don't want to play favorites like with your kids, but is there another state out there that, that kind of has a a pretty good pathway for peop- people people of various backgrounds to to get involved in in, in the agricultural business here?
1: Well, I, I think the state of Georgia, we got it, Rose. We've got it right here. In fact, yeah, but you fuck, think about, okay,
0: you, we got it, but...
1: <laughs> well, well, but. But you've got to think about all the new initiatives that we're rolling out. Look, Rose, like I mentioned, just a couple of weeks ago, we are leading the nation in our urban agriculture initiative. That's a big deal. What does that, uh, that mean? That...
0: What, but, 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 back up. What does what? that mean? You say we're leading the nation in our urban agriculture business. What does that mean? Because the listener's like, okay, I don't know what that means. Well, well, what
1: that means for us is I look to the event that we held over two, two to three weeks ago, mm-hmm. reaching over 1,700 kids. By the way, I'm going to send you the video if you could show that with your listeners, because one of the things we we're happy to do, not only did we bring in the farm experience to our young people, they had the opportunity to engage with a cow and with a chicken. But every student went home with a pack of seeds. Okay. And they went home with a pack of seeds so they could not only uh, touch and feel agriculture in a book, but they can do it in person. And I think that's so important.
0: How do you measure then? And, and it, it may take a few years because if we're oh, yeah. talking about increasing this access no. and this pathway, how do you no. measure it? When do you begin to measure it and what metrics are you using? Just by the look, say, oh, we've got this land or this product is being produced by a, a, a BIPOC person. How do you measure that?
1: Well, I, I take a measurement back to look at the program that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. the increasing land, capital and market access program. Look, our, our thoughts with that is it was run for three to five years. And so as we continue to get more folks in to apply, as we continue uh, to see folks interested in this program and our applications rise, we will be able to tell, do our loan uh, numbers go up? One of the things that folks don't really realize about the Farm Service Agency, particular here in the state of Georgia, I mean, we have loan uh, folks on our team that hand out the dollars, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we have a lot of metrics that we can look at. Uh, and as long as we can continue to ensure. Uh, that we have production in this state. I feel good about where we're going.
0: Now, you know, the, the, this nation also has a history when it comes to these loans for black and brown you know, farmers that they've had some issues in the past. So someone listening is, may be a little hesitant and say, well, have you all worked out that? I mean, that may not be your department, but you know what I'm talking sure. about.
1: Well, one of the things I would, I would mention, uh, Rose, is just two weeks ago, we uh, introduced a new tool, a new device where folks can look at their uh, eligibility for loans before they even come in the office. Uh, I I encourage folks to just Google FSA loan uh, and and you'll see the information there. And if you're unable to find it, I'll get it to you. But we are working to streamline the process. Look, One of the things that we also figured out is that our our application uh, is a little uh, comprehensive. And is there a way can we reduce that a bit, for example, from 23 pages to nine pages? And so those are the things we're looking at every day. That's the thing that the secretary has been pushing day in and day out making it accessible uh, for our current and future producers.
0: And before I let you go, just so everyone's clear, that deadline has been extended. But again, these are applications. It's under your projects benefiting underserved producers and minority serving institutions. Again, for our listeners, what are you looking for in those applicants?
1: Well, we want folks to show size and scope. Right. We, we are looking for folks who can show uh, that they are being very serious about how can they help other folks uh, get access to capital? How what is their plan? Uh, how can we get some of the production to the market? And so we, we need to have a, a real conversation because these dollars are intentional mm-hmm. and we want to change lives. And so we want folks who are, who are serious about this stuff. We hope that will apply. Uh, and we can continue to move forward uh, to ensure that agriculture is a top industry, not only in our state, uh, but for the nation.
0: And I want to give a shout out to all the blueberry farmers because I love blueberries. I just love
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rose, we'll get you on the road. We'll take it down to southwest Georgia and get you on some blueberry farms. How about that?
0: I love it. Let's go. Arthur L. Tripp, Georgia State Executive Director of the Farm Service Agency. Thank you so much for taking time and telling our listeners about this very important initiative. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. You just heard we had a conversation about the importance of equity and diversity within the nation's agriculture industry, and of course, here in Georgia. Well, now it comes the organization SMASH. It's a national nonprofit dedicated to providing impact-driven what they call STEM programming and college prep for students of colors in grades K through 12. And, of course, STEM stands for the science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines. And now, Spanish has his program, Career Catalyst, is partnering with Elite Gaming Live. My nephew was all abuzz when he heard this, and he's listening. So here to take it further is Dr. Hassan Brown, CEO of Career Catalyst, and Kerwin Rent, founder and CEO of Elite Gaming. And, fellas, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it thank
5: you for having us
0: right. and and mm-hmm. so Kerwin, i gotta start with you my nephew heard elite gaming he was like hey i know what that's about but for our listeners who may not know tell me about elite gaming what's this about
4: yeah sure so elite Gaming live the very first k212 esports um organization in the country we've been around for over a decade and esports for anyone listening who doesn't know is essentially competitive gaming the same thing if you're in middle school or high school, you play a traditional sport like baseball, softball, lacrosse, swimming, something like that. Replace those sports with video games, and you have you have K-12 sports. Now I got to ask so you. Our organization, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead, because I was going to put you on the spot, but go ahead and finish. I was going to say, and Elite
4: is unique because we have Impact Mission. We are not just about competitive video gaming. About half of our focus is around putting real tangible outcomes in front of kids that love to play video games that don't include having a control in your hand and playing video games.
0: Uh, there you go. Now let me ask you, do you have a favorite game, though? I just got to know. Do you have a favorite
4: uh, one? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I would say NBA 2K is my favorite NBA game, NBA yeah. 2K.
0: Right. <laughs> I want to bring in Hassan, Dr. Hassan Brown, CEO of Career Catalyst, because we've talked with Smash before, but just, you know, re-educate our listeners about your organization, what you all do.
5: Rose, thanks for having us. Um, I, I had to laugh when you mentioned 2K a moment ago, because just the other day, covered and I were playing uh, Nets versus Wizards on 2K. So uh, yeah.
0: Nets versus um, Wizards? Okay, I, I was going to say something, but I'm going to be quiet. I'm
5: going to be quiet. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. No, i um, No, so at Career Catalyst, uh, just as you named, like, you no know, STEM prof- uh, careers and professions, um, at this point in time, anyway, they are the gateway or pathway for so many young people to uh gainful employment. Mm-hmm. And so looking at STEM careers, thinking about like you know access to information, opportunities, like, the knowledge of these things. That's what career Couch is all about. So in some ways it's taking like the very STEM focused um, hands-on uh high touch uh engagement that Smash does and bringing it to scale as a digital platform. And so what that means is uh, students can log in they can uh, get access to really awesome multimedia experiences that include episodes, podcasts, fireside chats, right? Uh, And then it's also giving them access to information around different STEM careers and different STEM, uh, um, what's required to kind of like get into some of these fields. And it's all coming from folks who look and sound like them, have shared experiences like them, right? So it's it's a lot of, that's really like the focus of like what we're trying to build with uh, career caps, and why it's really important um, to the work that we're currently activating.
0: Let me ask you all this. And Kerwin, I'll start with you. I'm, I'm imagining people think, wow, to have a, a, a career in this beyond the, you know, the controllers, people think, oh, you have to excel at math or you have to know this. And could it be, could it be uh, maybe intimidating for, for youth because they think you have to have maybe a, a whiz kid at math or something like that? But you all, how do you all sort of, I guess, absor- get the kid to absorb sort of understanding what it takes? And it may not be that intimidating for them when you think about careers.
4: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's it's actually something that kids are participating in, whether they know it or not, because they've got cell phones, they've got tablets. They are some of, these are the smartest generation of kids ever, right? And so the way we do it is we focus on relatability. So in all of our careers, I mean, we partner with some of the biggest game studios in the world, some of the biggest hiring companies in the world. And we basically say to those organizations, you guys build products and things that these kids love and they can't really take their eyes and their hands off of. So how about we start educating them on the, on what you guys hire for mm-hmm. and how you guys make this stuff. And, and when you really get into these people and you start talking to them, they're regular, they're regular people. They're not, they're not mathematicians. They're not like geniuses. They're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, previous gamers or previous kids who love technology, which I mean, a cell phone is technology mm-hmm. and they just identified something that they were interested in. And they started to learn, probably at a, at a younger age and they just kind of got into it naturally. So,
0: and Dr. Uh, so Brown, Hassan Brown, excuse me, you all going to be working with third graders on up to to seniors in high school. How's this going to work?
5: Yeah. So right now our large focus is on middle school and high school. Yeah. And like, you know, you mentioned third graders. I'm a full full on advocate that isn't, you're never too early to really begin having these kind of conversations mm-hmm. because regardless of where you are in your development as a kid, um, it's all about making learning fun, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've been a teacher, I was a teacher for a number of years. I still consider myself a teacher just wearing different suit, different hat, right? Um, but to Kerwin's point, uh, a lot of the the stories that we share, the professions that we share, like, you know, many of these professionals, um, to your question, a lot of kids might think that they need to know at age 10, 12, mm-hmm. even 20, what they want to be, uh, what, what they want to do in their career. And so many of the stories that we have, like folks have made pivots, right? Mm-hmm. And I think like what's really awesome about today's day and age is that, you know, not knowing what you want to do or rather being open to learning, picking up transferable skills that apply mm-hmm. across different industries, across different sectors, that's really powerful. So, how we message it to like you know, young people and adults alike is really like you're, 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 you're staffing or, or filling your toolbox, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was a social worker, teacher, philanthropist, not working in media, mm-hmm. ed tech um and with each of those experiences they've all given me another lens another skill set right so it's another way of thinking about your career journey for sure
0: how you how will you all identify these students are you working with a particular school district specific schools here
5: yeah so we're actually looking at uh districts um individual schools and youth programs so like you know uh Boys and Girls Clubs, um, NAACP youth programs, like all these different kind of programs. If you're serving young people, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you. I want to reach you. Right. And so that's what career college really is, um, because we're digital. Right. Like um, earlier on the call, you had uh, Arthur um, speaking about like, you know, rural um, mm-hmm. uh, agriculture, agribusiness. business. That's a STEM job. Right. We don't mm-hmm. think about that. We don't yeah. use that language. But it's thinking about how can we really, really bring partner with organizations who are, like, you know, in the metropolises, but also in rural America. And just ensuring that young people have access to the information, have access to stories, have access to curricula that really allows them to, if not get on that pathway, mm-hmm. have the knowledge from an early age, to know, okay, these are my choices. Let me take my, let me explore what are my interests.
0: I'm curious, I'm going to start with y'all. Curran, did you have, who are your mentors in this space as you were developing your career? Did you have mentors that you huh. saw look like you that helped introduce you into this?
4: You know, actually, I mean, I'm from Indianapolis and I'll say that initially, I mean, I've been like a mini entrepreneur since I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I played traditional sports growing up and I also was a, a video gamer growing up. So I kind of had this experience of, you know, both sides, mm-hmm. not just my entrepreneurial spirit kind of drove me. But I will say that as I when I got into uh, college and into those years of my life, i did start to meet people that propelled me further Mm -hmm. and gave me more confidence in you know the ideas i had and i would say every step of the way i met another person who who wasn't actually a part of my past like previous friends or like close friends from from childhood where i met someone who looked like me that basically said yo you're doing something really great Mm -hmm. and you got to keep going and you also look at it like this and you could, you could grow it like this. And so this has been like a 10 year plus journey for me. And, uh, we're in schools all, all around the country at this point. I mean, Atlanta has become one of our biggest markets, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, and yeah, I mean, so mentors, mentors practically at every level. And I was also open, and this is important. I was open to new relationships mm-hmm. and kind of, challenging myself to allow folks who you know i've never met before to kind of pour into me and and help me see things uh certain ways and stuff
0: dr brown that is at the core of what you all are doing at smash and mentoring but also making sure that the youth have access to people who look like them come from their communities to help them even if the, whether or not they ha- choose a mm-hmm. career in this but at least have access because that's where it begins
5: mm-hmm. and to your question um I had a sixth grade teacher, Mr. Hatchet. He used to wear a suit like every day. Like the brother was like just like dressed to the nine, right? <laughs> so I remember he was my math teacher. I was never strong in math, just to be clear. But he used to have like, you know, during lunchtime, he'd have his, his room open with the kids be coming kicking with him. And he just like he just talked to us like human beings. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, he he saw us like you know for young black boys, young black girls, like, you know, uh, in, in in East New York and Brooklyn. Um, and he he was able to speak to us with a level of like you know respect and with intelligence. Um, and he really, he really asked us about our interests, right? And mm-hmm. so even like with career college, we're right, constantly asking young people, okay, this is the like the story that you just heard and saw. Place yourself into that narrative. Like, what do you what are you interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you kind of like noodling on right now, right? And like, what are your what what are your strengths, um, and how are those maybe? How can you like maybe reinforce or re- redefine or even apply that? And kind of like the Carmen's point, like mentorship can. You can have formal mentors, but you can also have people who probably like don't even know that they're being an example, like a shining sure. example to you in so many ways. Right. And they can also serve as like, you know, this is like the standard of like when I want to be at this point in time.
0: I have a listener who has a question. Uh, my son is all into this gaming, Rose. I would love to get him in this program. How can folks find out more and where they should go to try to get, you know, if they're a caregiver or a parent to get a young person involved in your program? Dr. Brown?
5: So for us, you would go to careercatalyst.org. dot mm-hmm. org, um, and you can also just reach out to, to me directly. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty open, transparent cat. Right. Um, you can send my Hassan nephew at to Career. you. <laughs> no, hey, he said them. Hey, I'm a, I'm a former teacher, man. I love the kids. Uh, but yeah, you could you could have them. You can send them to me. But um, yeah, info at careercatalyst.org. dot org. Um, you can go to our website as well. We're on social media as well. I know the kids—they're all here TikTok and then IG no. and all that. Uh, so our IG <laughs> is a Career Catalyst Smash. All one word. You know what I'm talking about? I'm oh, uh, gotcha. mom, on mom there as well as uh, Doctor in the Block underscore D A not P H E four.
0: Doctor, that piece Dr. Hassan and we'll have a link to Dr. Hassan Brown CEO yeah, all, of Career Catalyst and uh, Kerwin Rent, founder and CEO of Elite Gaming shout out to Indianapolis I used to live off 16th Street and Kessler oh 16th Kessler
4: yeah okay. uh, you know what you, you ever had <laughs> Pernell's about, Fish
1: five
0: minutes you ever uh, had? No, nails I have But I, that's probably about
1: five.
4: That was probably about five to seven minutes away from where I grew up uh, at. Yep. Yeah, I, used to I play basketball play basketball So Emerson, yeah. Right
0: Texas, yeah.
2: Are you a hooper?
0: <laughs> okay, of course I'm a hooper. I used to play basketball right at that park right up. Let me, okay. <laughs> 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 Thank you that's both great. for taking the time. Thank you so much for what you're doing for for young people and getting them interested in the STEM careers. Thank you, fellas.
5: Thanks for having Thanks. me. This was fun. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson and Daniel Razell and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. Kevin, I know he rides a bike. I don't know if he plays video games, but he rides a bike. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as our podcast so subscribe to closer look wherever you like and don't forget tomorrow we'll have live special live coverage as georgia votes 2022 for the midterm elections starting at 7 p.m. stay tuned to 90.1 wabe atlanta i'm rose scott